Well, it's my honor today to uh, have two special guests. I have my mom and dad here today. Can you stand up, mom and dad? Can we give them a hand clap? Amen. Mom and dad have always been the strongest examples of Christ in my life. And I just want to thank you. And everything that you see here is because you led me to the Lord and prayed for me. My mother prayed for me when I was a high school dropout, when I was doing drugs. I lived like the devil from 11 to 18. And mom might say I started a little bit earlier than that, living like the devil. But that's kind of when I remember I was doing those things. And you never gave up on me. They showed me tough love. Amen. And Aunt Joanne didn't either. I said dad prayed for me. My, only my mom can do that. Amen. I feel like a child again. I can't do it. Last, at the men's meeting, I was trying to say something about my dad. He interrupted me as well. Okay, back to the Can I compliment you? Can I do that? Okay. Both of you prayed for me. And when I dropped out of high school and I started doing drugs, they kicked me out the house, and they gave me an ultimatum, and they said that if I didn't change, then I would be arrested. And one time I came home after curfew, and guess who showed up at my door? My bedroom door. The police. Some of you all looking at me crazy. Oh, yes, my mom showed me tough love. And I think there's some of you here that need that same tough love. Amen? And when I was 18 years old, you know what I got for my birthday? The keys to the car, a full tank of gas, and the gift of goodbye. Because they said, we're done. Go. And you all looking at me crazy. I think some of you all need to hear this. That's what you got to do, parents. You're looking at me like that's going to be a bad thing. No, I'm getting to the good part because of them not allowing me to sin in the house. Because of them teaching me the consequence of my sin, I slept in my car. And I hung out at people's homes I should, and I began to lose my mind. And one day as I was crazy and I thought I needed to go to a mental hospital, I called up my mother and I said, I need help. Can you put me in a mental hospital? And she says, you don't need a mental hospital, you just need Jesus. Hallelujah. Because that whole time she had been praying. She said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So if you don't want it, you get the boot. So all you mothers that got freeloaders in the house, they're over 18. They don't want to serve the Lord. Somebody say, give them the boot. That would be the best thing for them. Amen? And my mother said, I don't know anything about those mental hospitals, but I know about Jesus. Come here right now and he'll set you free. November 5th, 1995, at my mother's kitchen table, I was saved, brought to the Lord. That evening, my mother and father prayed with me, got baptized with the Holy Ghost, sanctified, and set on fire. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Mom and Dad. That is an encouragement to all parents here. Don't give up. Give them tough love. Amen. And my dad, he was always kind to me. My mother, they paid for my college. They gave me cars, and they just said, just do well in school. Just do well, and by God's grace, I was a high school dropout. I had done a lot of drugs. I had lost a lot of short-term memory and those things. But throughout Bible college, God blessed me, gave me back my mind, and that's where I met this brother right here. He mentored me. He taught me. It's been over 10 years now, Bishop. Ten wonderful years. Haven't they been glorious, you and I together? <laughs> there hasn't been any headaches, right? I didn't give you those gray hairs, did I? I remember one time, some of you have read about it in the book that we do in discipleship. I had only been in school about three months, and um, I was getting uh, chastised because I was prideful, and I was not listening, and I was touching people and playing with them a lot. If anybody can guess that, I don't know if you can imagine that. And 
Basically, they were like, stop messing with people, stop getting in trouble, sign this paper as your discipline, or we're going to kick you out. And I said, I don't need that. I'm going to quit. And that was Halloween day, and I quit. And I took up all of my stuff, and I remember mom working with me on this side. Mom said, you're not coming home. You better not come here. You do not have a place to live. And I just thought, said to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that day I went to the gas station. And I started pumping gas. And this was a big thing to me because at that time, when people asked me how I was doing, I would say, every day is a good day with Jesus. That's how I would respond. And I even responded that way the day my sister died drinking and driving. Somebody talked to me like, you know, gas station, how are you doing? I said, every day is a good day with Jesus. But I remember sitting there at the gas station and somebody asked me how my day was. And I was like, ah, whatever. In that moment, God told me, I will take my spirit from you if you're not obedient. See, some of you play around with church and authority. You don't understand. God told me as clear as I've ever heard him. He said, if you do not go back and stay here, I will take my spirit from you and I will not bless you. So I put my tail between my legs and I came back. And the greatest day I've ever had with a mentor was that day because he had rebuked me strong. He had corrected me in in love, but it was strong. But that day I called his house because he was obviously not at the school. It was that night. And he answered and I said, brother, I am sorry. I repent. I'll do whatever it takes. And that day he came from his home and let me back into the dorms. And I've never been the same since. Can you say amen? That's mentorship. Thank you. And sometimes people, you know, will come in and out of your life. But we're talking over a decade. They have been in my life. I had my high uh, high school, my college graduation at their home. They let me in. I watched them raise their children. He'll tell you uh, and they'll share the testimony of their children. One of them is going to be married. I remember when he was just 10 years old, just a young man. They grew their family in front of me. They grew their ministry in front of me. And I look to it always as an example, both of you. Remember, Sister Melly, you would talk about one day having a wife. And I would homeschool like you did. And she would be like you. And here she is. Glory to God. And I just cannot thank you enough. And church, I want us to give them the highest honor we can. As we introduce them, can we stand to our feet and welcome Brother Anthony and Melanie Freeman, the fathers of Metro Praise. Bring your wife up, brother. She's shy. Come on. Give them one more big hand clap of praise for God's glory. And we love Pastor Joe and Sister Nancy, and um, I'm not going to tell any stories on him because uh, they're not too good. No, <laughs> no they're, it's all good. It's all good. So um, it's such a blessing to see both of you and the fruit of our ministry. And um, y'all are awesome and wonderful. Y'all are blessed with a terrific team right there, Nancy and Joe. And so thank you so much. God is good. And here's my husband. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are so thankful for what God is doing in this place and the leadership that God is raising up, uh, the reproduction that is happening in this church. It's all biblical. It's from God. And uh, you just get in the middle of it because God is moving and uh, you don't want to get left behind in what the Lord is doing in this church. I believe this church has been strategically positioned here by the hand of God. See, God sets up people in places so that He can touch 
nations and He can touch cities and He can alter the course of whole uh, groups of people. God raises up men. He raises up women. He raises up teams to go out into the world and to bring His Gospel and to advance His kingdom. He, he raises up soldiers and generals and lieutenants to go out all into the world and to bring His Gospel and His purpose on this earth. And I believe that this church is one of those strategic places, one of those strategic footholds where God is advancing His kingdom. And God is raising you up. Those of you that leadership, we had some uh, time with the leadership this morning, and I tell you what, what God is doing is simply incredible and awesome. And God's Spirit and touch and His presence in this place is not by accident. It's not by accident. It's because you have a pastor who has a heart after God. Now, Pastor Joe, I mean, while he was growing up, all of us when we're growing up, you know, uh, we, there's things about us that have to change that God works on. But then there's things that God puts in our heart. And those things, God's not trying to change them. He put them there, and they're good things. They're good things. And what He does is He expands those things. That's where the Word of God says, you know, to enlarge the border of your tents. Well, God gave you the tent in the first place, but now He wants to increase, make that tent even larger. And one of the things that I saw in Pastor Joe from the very beginning was a passion for the Lord. A passion for God from the very beginning. I would go down, we had three floors of the college, and I'd go down and sometimes I'd hear, and the men's dorm was on the bottom. And boy, down at the back of the hall, my job was to go in the, uh, there and to inspect the rooms at that time. I was the dean of students, and I had to go and check on the students and discipline them and mentor them and that whole type of thing and taught classes and that type of thing. But I'd go in the, the dorm in the afternoon and invariable every day. If I went in there, I would hear this loud noise coming from the back of the dorms. There was one entrance in, and there was an exit way in the back that they weren't allowed to use. So basically, one way in and one way out. And Pastor Joe's, his dormitory was way in the back. And there was a certain time in the day, I knew I could go in there, and I could hear this young man at the time. He's, you know, he's quite a man, and he's got a, got a child now on the way, praise God. But I could hear this man crying out to God every day. Singing songs, you know. Uh, you know, Pastor Joe's loud. He's loud. And he'd get on that guitar and it seemed like there was one form of stroking that guitar that he had. No matter what song he played, there was one rhythm that that brother was putting it into. And it was loud. But you know what it was? It was passionate. It was real. It was sincere. And all that you see and why God has blessed Nancy and Joe is because they have a heart after God. And God wants to re God has brought them here to reproduce that in your life. And it's being reproduced. It's being reproduced. What we see happening here today, it's the reproduction of God's life through others. And what God wants to do in you is He wants you to reproduce that in the life of others. Now turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel. Beginning with uh, 2 Samuel 6. It's funny, and I don't know if I even 
in some ways, I don't feel like I need to preach this in this church, but I know that there are some here that need to hear this word this morning. We have been here since Friday. We had youth service. God was here. God touched people's lives. We had two people get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here Sunday, uh, Friday night. Uh, Saturday we came here. We had men's and the women's. Uh, we had a wonderful time. God was there. Uh, last night we met with the leadership of the church. God showed up powerfully, powerfully in that place. Gave us a word. This morning already we've met with the leadership. What's, is it 201? The 201 class, we talked about being fruitful. God showed up. You might have walked in on it. And God's been in this place. He's doing all this stuff. But I know God has this word, and it's right along. For most of you, you could just say amen. But there may be some in here this morning that might have to say, oh me. Oh me. Because I want to talk about losing your religion. When I was coming here, the one thing the Lord put in my heart was, was this message to come here and to deliver this message. So I know, even though many of you, Pastor Joe's been talking about it this morning already, it's been preached and re-preached this morning in many different ways, in many different times. So you're going to hear it once again, because God wants it. God wants us. God wants us to flow this way. Religion has never cured anything for anyone at any time. Religion has never shaken the world. It's never turned the world upside down for the kingdom of God. Religion cannot do it. And if you're in this place today and you feel like you've come because you want some ritual, some religious experience dealing with ritual, dealing with formality, you probably come to the wrong place, as you've seen already. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. The Bible says, Now King David was told that the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Some of you guys remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of you never saw it because you weren't born. But Raiders of the Lost Ark was about that, you know, the ark of God from the Jewish people. And, and, but that was a real thing. The ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire household of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Kind of, we've had that in this morning already. We've been bringing up the ark of God. The ark of God is the symbol of God's presence, of His person. So it's right. It's right for us to do. This is biblical. Pastor getting up here and saying, come on, shout, lift your hands, dance. This passage we're reading from is thousands, at least 3,000 years old. Thousands of years old. And God's still asking His people to do the same thing. He's not changed. Verse 16, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. 
And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And he, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites. Wow. Both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. They went home blessed. They went home blessed. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David, you got a little too silly. You got a little too crazy out there. You're the king of Israel. You wear a crown, for goodness sake. You live in a palace. You lead a mighty army. You're too dignified for such activity. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Get the spirit of that. I'm going to be more undignified than this. And I'm going to humble myself in front of my own eyes. That's what pastor was trying to get you all to do a little while ago. That's what the pastor was trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you to dance before the Lord. Lose that religion. Why? Because it's humbling. Now it's sad if we have a wedding in here, and I know I'm breaking away from my message, but we have a. I've been in Chicago before, and I've been in New York before, and I noticed that even in the churches, even though we don't go out dancing in the clubs no more, we don't go out partying anymore, but if they have a wedding, we're going to sanctify that form of dance called line dancing. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be doing all that kind of stuff like that. We're going to play some music that isn't unchristian, but yet maybe not Christian, and we're going to be out there, we're going to be boogieing because someone got married. Am I talking to the right crowd? They do that here, right? They might be a little, you know, joking around by bumping and grinding, you know, that kind of thing going on. I don't know what they do, you know. But somehow they slip. You slip back in. You're having fun. There's joy being exuberated in the place. We get up in church and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Ark of God, is in the house. His person, His presence. And we shut down and we're asking God to move us. But our heart is not receptive 
to His person and His presence because we don't pursue Him. You draw nigh to Me, I'll draw nigh to you. That's what He says. You draw nigh to Me, I'll draw nigh to you. Without faith, it's impossible. Im, say the word impossible. Without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must first believe that he is. You walking up here? How does that look? Let's, let's make it plain. How does that look? You're walking into this place. You come to the house of God. You come to meet God. Because you're in the body of Christ. You know the Word of God says that if two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. So you come here to meet Jesus, not to hear some kind of sermon alone. So you know in your mind, your faith has taken you to the place that you have an understanding that there's something or someone that you're going to meet here. He that comes to God must first believe that He is. Is that the end all of faith? No, it's not enough. You came to Jesus not just because you believed you needed to get saved, but you acted upon it. You acted upon your faith. Someone said, you need Jesus. He died for your sins. He rose again on the third day so that you could have His life inside of you. Your life is all wrecked up, all jacked up. The Holy Spirit tugged at your heart, pulled at you, drew you nigh to Him. And you knew it. It's in your heart. You were tired of fooling around. There was nothing you could do to save yourself. There was nothing to do. You had had tried everything to rectify your life and found out, like you should have known in the first place, that you couldn't do it. And finally being convinced of the truth. Convinced of the truth. They that worship Him worship it in spirit and in truth. Convinced of the truth. You say, well, I need Him. You come to a place of resolve, but that doesn't end it. It's not done because faith not only believes that God is, but it earnestly seeks Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to Him must first believe that He is, He exists, He's real, and He rewards them that diligently seek Him. Not just, he, you know, He didn't just say seek Him. He said diligently. What's diligent? That's it. Everything. All your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with all that's in your being, you come to Him. Like a man thirst, dying of thirst. And if he could just get to that drink of water, he knows that he'll live. It's not enough to know that the water will quench your thirst and cause you to live. you got to go after it. That's when your faith is real. That's when your faith is complete. I almost lost my religion. Some people say, I say to you, what stopped you? What stopped you? I will be even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, 
I will be held in honor. Verse 23, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. She was fruitless. She died barren. We were driving the other day with Pastor Joe and Brother Jim. Pastor Jim. And... uh, (laughs) Brother Jim says, okay, Brother Joe says to, to, to Brother Jim, uh, Dad, let me drive. So we get in, you know, Brother Jim's got that nice car, and uh, man, I'm riding in the back, praise God. And so, uh, you know, and, and it's really a fine car, you know, and it's really a nice car, and of course, Pastor Joe gets on the other side, and Pastor Joe likes to talk while he drives a lot, and he, he's one of those talkers and lookers. He just doesn't talk and look at the road. He'll reach around the back and talk to you while he's driving. You know, and then he puts his knees up by the wheel and he does that thing, man. I'm like, you know, and he's like, yes. Brother, brother, what do you think? What do you think, brother? You know, and then with the the thing happening, you know, and then Brother Jim is talking about, you know, sincere things of God. And then... (laughs) And he's talking, and we're all talking about it. But then every once in a while, Brother Jim would be silent. There would be silence, and he'd stop. And he'd go, Joe, now watch that car. Joe, you're too close. Brother Joe, you're supposed to... Now let your foot off the gas and coast towards the car in front of you with red lights. I mean, there would be dead. You know, all of a sudden, Brother Jim would be talking about the things of God, and all of a sudden, it would be Brother Joe. You know, he was like Joe. Now he was instructing him again, man, how to drive. I felt like I was with the student driver and his teacher. You know, and I'm sitting in the back. Isn't that what was going on? And Brother Joe and Brother said, "Dad, I know how to. Drive. What do you want me to do?" How do I drive? You know, it's like, well, and then he goes in this explanation, you know, where you ease up off. You know, you ease your foot off the gas as you see the red, the car with the red light about 50 feet from you. You should start to decelerate. He's going through this whole explanation. And I'm thinking to myself, Brother Joe's been driving for years, you know, and somehow he didn't. He's got to be taught this all over again. But you know what? Brother Jim says, oh, I know, Pastor, uh, Brother Anthony, I almost lost my religion. <laughs> you, know? He's t- you know, we say that. We say that. I'm, 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 I'm jesting. I'm embellishing a little bit. But we say, we say that. You know, I almost lost, we get a little excited, I almost lost my religion. Well, God wants you to. God wants you to. God doesn't want you to have any religion. God wants whatever's inside of you that is of Him, that when it's knocked over, let it spill out. Let it spill out. What I understand is really what people are talking about is their sanctification, and God wants you to uh, be sanctified through His Spirit. And what they're saying really is, I almost sinned, but it's good to choose not to sin, but by all means, lose your religion. Concerning religion, Jesus had some words to say to a religious leader named Nicodemus. A man, a Pharisee, a doctor of the law, a man who read his, who knew the Scriptures, 
A man who wrote, who, who studied the Scriptures, who knew the Torah, who taught, he was a teacher of men. Prayed, read his word, gave alms to the poor, was a, considered a leader in the community. To a man like that, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, can you imagine that? Here was a teacher of the law. Here was one that was in like the priesthood. They were the people that instructed the people in the ways of God. And this man comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and wants something from Jesus. And what Jesus tells him is, you have to be born again. And it was such a radical thought that he couldn't put the two together. He said, do you mean I have to go back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? Well, he wasn't talking about religion. He says, that which is of flesh gives birth to flesh. But that which is of the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again because the wind blows where it wants to blow. You hear the sound. We can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. I love to use that scripture because you look out there, there's some trees blowing in the wind. We don't see the wind. You don't know the direction the wind's coming from just by looking at those trees. But the wind, though it's unseen, yet it's a force. When it hits those trees, those trees that were instilled, they become in a state of motion. We don't see God. We understand God is spirit. No man has seen God at any time, but the Son of God has revealed Him. But we understand this. When God connects into a life, that life cannot remain the same. Cannot remain the same. How can you come in and out of a church and think you're good and be living out there in a way that you know Jesus doesn't want you to live? Partaking of things you know Jesus doesn't want you partaking of. Wrestling with things you know Jesus doesn't want you doing. If the wind hits the trees, the trees are going to move. If God is in your life, there's going to be some change. Not religion. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about an encounter with God. To the Pharisee concerned about their traditions, Jesus said in Luke 6, 7, and 9, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched Him closely to see if He would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled up hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, what is it lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Jesus was always confronting the religiosity of man. And He was showing them, hey, you missed the point. You got so bound up in your religious tradition that here's a man that needs to be healed. doesn't really matter on which day it happens. When you need to get healed, you don't care what day. And again... Verse 5, he says that you say, if, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. 
He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, I'd like to believe that there's no one in here that has subjugated yourself to serving God to a bunch of rules. I'm here this morning because it's Sunday and I needed to show up. And that's the extent of your religion. That's the extent of your relationship. You just know you need to be here, and so you're here to satisfy some moral thought or some moral philosophy or ideology. Some religious tradition. Well, Sunday morning I should go, but all the way here you almost cussed your kids out. You and your, you and your husband almost gotten a knockdown drag out all the way here. And when you go home, it's going to continue. Because, you know, you in that car, listen, it might be like this, but, you know, we're going to be all right up in that church. But when we get out, it's on. When we get out of this service, it is on. And you go back home and you're still banging pots, not talking to one another, and you're going to go to bed mad at each other. Where's the life in that? The works of religion are man-centered. They're created by man. They can never bring about the life that God desires for us. Jesus said He had come to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Religion can never fulfill the Lord's desire. It can never do it. Never. In the passage concerning David, we see an analogy of the difference between religion and a personal knowledge of God. One only has to look throughout the Psalms and discover that David knew God in an intimate way. You know, it's one thing to be a friend with somebody and to high five them, you know, boom, like that. Like you guys, you know, you guys are giving the pound all the way around here all the time, you know. That's cool, I like that. But you know, you find someone you're attracted to. You can give them a pound. You can give them the pound. You know, that type of thing. But it's one thing to be intimate with someone. It's another thing. I'm sorry, it's, it's one thing just to be friends. It's another thing to be intimate, isn't it? To really know a person. To really know someone. David just didn't know about the laws of God and what God wanted them. He knew God intimately. You look through the Psalms, Psalms 23. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In Psalms 8, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In Psalms 91, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. In Psalms 51, he gets real personal, exposing his heart of repentance before the whole world. David's going to be so intimate with God and he's going to care about his relationship with God so much that he's going to write a psalm that's going to go in the Scriptures and it's going to be for all generations to look at where he was. Because he was more concerned about being in right relationship with God than what people thought about him. 
And some of us, the past, the, God's tugging at your heart. You know, who in the service needs a touch from God? A hand goes up, you barely get it up, but you know because the Holy Spirit's tugging it. Now, to make a difference, to act out on your faith, come on up to the front. But you do this number here. You're wondering not who's going. You don't want to be embarrassed. David, it's a good thing David didn't feel that way. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. David desired to bring up the ark of the covenant from the house of Obed-Edom, as we read. The ark of the covenant was a symbol of the divine presence of God. It represented the manifest presence of God. And we see this as we look at 1 Samuel 4, 19-22, as one of, the, one of the priest's wives, the daughter-in-law of... Uh, the daughter-in-law of... Uh, what's, what's his name? Anyway, the wife of Phineas. The wife of Phineas was pregnant near the time of delivery. And the Word of God says in 1 Samuel 4, 19 and 22, when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and she gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the women attended to her saying, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Israel knew that to have that ark was to have the presence of God with them. And David said, It's over there. Obed-Edom's getting blessed. I know that the whole house of Israel needs it. So he goes down the first time. He tries to bring up the ark on a cart, but that's not the way God had prescribed to do it. And so you guys know the story about Uzzah. He reached out to steady the cart. God struck him, and they put the house, the, uh, the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. And then he comes up to get the ark the right way, the way that God had prescribed. And then we read in the Scriptures how he brings the presence of God back into Israel with rejoicing, with sacrifice, with praises. It was imperative that David brought the ark of God into Israel. As he brought the ark up, the Bible records the celebration and the exuberance of the people, and especially their leader, David. The word for dancing here, when it says that David danced before the Lord, the word for dancing is unique in this passage because the word in the Hebrew signifies play. It's like children playing. Here, God, their Father, the very presence of Almighty God, is coming back into the camp. And David says, I'm going to act like a child before my Father in Heaven, and I'm going to dance just like when my Daddy comes home. One of the things that I remember uh, when, when I was, I'd go out traveling, my sons, when they were little, man, one of the things that I loved, my four sons, open up that door and all of my sons run to greet me. There's not a feeling in the world like that. 
They were just happy that dad was home. They were happy that dad was with them. And and man, we might go and get some ice cream or we might go and get that. But it didn't matter. Dad was home. And dad might wrestle with them on the floor or something. But they knew dad was home. They were excited. They were joyful. And it's funny. And a child, he gets a little joyful. It transfers to his legs. He skips along. He does crazy little things. He might jump up and down like that. You know, all kinds of, you know, you've seen kids do that kind of stuff. Stuff, huh? They get excited, man, that you can't, con- they can't extain- contain it. Somewhere along the line, we lose it. There's no coincidence that Jesus said, unless you come to me like a child, you will in no way enter in. In other words, acting with the joy of a child. The Hebrew word for dancing there is acting like a child with joy. This kind of celebration didn't come from religion, but it came from an intimate knowledge of God. It signified the the losing of religious form and ritual and the celebration of God and His presence. In this pursuit of casting off our religion, what we find here is, number one, that David knew God intimately. If you're going to walk with God in a way that's pleasing to God, in a way that you've experienced the joy of the Lord, you know, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible says that a merry heart is like medicine. It's like good medicine makes the heart glad. I tell you, when someone allows depression, get around someone that's depressed. Get around some. I tell you, you don't want to be around them. You don't feel like taking a shower after you've been with them. But getting around someone with joy, you know? I mean, how do they start those big waves in the stadiums? You know, the big wave. Whoa, you know, everybody, whoa, whoa. I mean, we act stupid all over, all over the place. We act stupid. And, and, then, and, and then we do all kind of stupid things. But up in church, we, we just, like someone's drilled us to the seat. You know, we don't want nothing to happen. And you got the most exciting thing. You got the thing that's going to go on for all eternity. But people, they get excited about something and it's contagious. We're going to do the wave. We're going to do the wave. I just had a thought. We ought to do the wave in here real quick. Come on, let's do the wave right here. Come on. Let's go. Whoa! Oh, yeah, look at that. (laughs) Look, you guys all laughed about that. I didn't tell a joke. You acted upon the joy in your heart. And that's what the problem is. You're not acting upon the thing that's inside of you. Maybe it's because you don't know it intimately. The second thing we find is that it's a choice. Faith is always shown by its decisions and what it does, its actions. Verse 21 and 22, he says, Man... 
I'm going to celebrate from the Lord. I'm going to do this. You are mad at me because I'm doing it? Let me just tell you, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to continue, and I'm going to even do it more than this. You think I was ridiculous out there? You know, and you know, the Bible doesn't describe it. I think, man, you know, because he came in and happened to hear this mully grub person. You know, you, ever, you know what a cockaburr is? How many of you know what a cockaburr is? It's like this thing. We have them down south. You go running in the field. They got these round things with little burrs on them all the way around. You go running in the field, man, you come out covered with them. You know? And what they said, you know, in the olden days, man, people would get a cockaburr on, between the saddle and the horse. And that horse, you know, it just was irritating. And sometimes people would get them up in their, you know, their shorts and stuff. You know, they'd go down your pants, you'd drive through a field. And, you know, and just, you can't be comfortable, you know? Someone would make a face at this, you know? And they're Christians, just like that. It's like you're sitting on all kind of cockaburs, like, mm, you know, I'm not going to rejoice. I will, I will, I will not be moved. You know, and so you're like all these cockaburs, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, and, you know, because you have no joy. And the problem is not with God, it's not with the church, it's not with the pastor, it's not with the music, it's with you. I remember being in Africa with my wife, and we went into this place called Mpika, Zambia. We were on a dirt floor, I mean it was raised, that was the platform, it was a mound of dirt raised. And the church was smaller than this, and there were maybe a hundred people or more stuffed in that building. You're sitting on nice cushioned pads. You know what they had to sit on? They had a log that had been split in half. And of course, the part that had been split, you know, if you split a log in half, the round part was down here. And of course, the flat part, that's what they were sitting on. And let me tell you, they had church longer than we have church. They sat on half a log about that wide. For all those hours. There was no band. There was one instrument. And it was made out of reeds at different lengths with peas in it. It's kind of a chick 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 They called it an African guitar. They had no strings, just peas and a bunch of reeds sewn together. And a brother back there was playing. I mean, he had more sound coming out of that thing. And then they said, we're going to let the choir sing. Where's the choir loft? There's no choir loft. But people in the choir had red bandanas on. And they stood up in the congregation and they sang a song with all their might. And you kind of lift your hand up like this and you touch the ceiling and mud would come down because it was made out of mud and sticks. But God's presence was there. God was healing people. People were getting saved. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there was no bathrooms. The little babies... They come for them. They're basically naked. They come for, and then you see a little wet puddle somewhere. I'm trying to tell you. I know. I mean, that sounds crazy, but I'm trying to tell you. And God was there. People got healed. Devils were cast out of people. Man, there was a lady. The big goiter came forward, laid hands on her. God instantly healed this woman. God was there, and those people were happy. They had the joy of the Lord. They rejoiced. They didn't let their circumstances control them. What they had or didn't have, they weren't worried about it. They were worried about meeting with God. Your spiritual disposition is all wrapped up 
in your decision whether to pursue God with all your heart or not to. I will rejoice. I'm going to be even more undignified than this. Verse 22, he says, I'm going to humble myself. How do we lose this religious attitude? Stop thinking about yourself. It's a denial of self. Care what God thinks over what you think or what men think. Verse 22, he says, I'm going to even be more undignified than this. That's what Pastor Joe was talking about. We're going to go from glory to glory. And in fact, the word can be translated literally ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing glory. There's more and more and more. And just when you think you've got to the end of it, you can't take much more. There's much more and much more. Ever-increasing glory. Allow God's heart in you to communicate life to others. This whole thing about connect, mentor, and sin, that's what it's all about. It's about getting the glory and the presence of the person of God in your life, letting it transform your life, and then being sent out to transform the lives of others. David was filled with so much joy and so much of the presence and person of God that he danced before the Lord. But look what happens. As soon as that happens, the Bible says in verse 17 that he, they brought the ark in the place, and then he began to do what? He began to distribute gifts to people. You know, getting excited about God makes you a giver. Getting excited about God makes you want to go out and share with other people. The Bible, and who knows, the whole house of Israel, how many people there were. And the Bible says right here that He gave loaves of bread, date cakes, He gave a cake, some loaves of bread, and he gave, uh, let's see what else he gave. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of date, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. He wanted to bless people just like his heavenly Father. God wants to bless you. You say, I want God's blessing. Well, you need to get God in you. And then you'll be a blessing. You'll be a blessing. Pastor Joe won't be up here. Now we need some more help. No, man. You get on fire for God. What can I do? What can I do for my Lord? What can I, who can I go? Let's go out right now and tell the world about Jesus. We're ready to share this thing because it's in us. Allow God's heart in you to communicate life to others. Now I'm going to end with this. The Bible mentions this person, Michael. And you know that God's Word doesn't put anything in here by accident. But it says Saul's daughter, Michael, she was looking for the window. And she despised David for how he was acting. She looked down on him. I never forget one time God called us to, when God called us to raise up the School of Urban Missions, we had people that told us, can't be done. Nobody's going to come. You're not going to get any money. You guys don't know what you're doing. They were right. They were right. We didn't know what we were doing. We did not know what we were doing. But we knew one thing. God said to do it. Now, about 12 years later, here we are getting accredited. Fully accredited. Credits being recognized by the government. And one of the guys that withstood us, i never forget, he was there at the conference for, the, uh, for accreditation. 
And he got to hear School of Urban Missions accreditation. The man who said, you can't do it. It'll never be accredited. He got to hear the school when it did get accredited. And I never forget, he walked up to my table and he looked down on me. He looked down his eyes and his nose up like that at me. I'll never forget that because I was looking up his nostrils. You know, I was sitting up at a table. But I thought to myself, this man's looking down at me. I mean, just like a, you know, I don't know what, you know, just, just looking down. No joy. Now, I didn't tell him what we were there for. This was before he heard the announcement. But he came over there at the table kind of like, what are you doing here? You know, kind of looking at me. And that man had to hear that our school was fully accredited. Just the thing he said would not happen. But I kind of feel like that guy was despising me when he was looking down like this. You know, kind of that kind of thing. See, Michael represents those who operate out of religion. Now, what signifies this is, first of all, we see Michael, she's looking from the window. When the Bible says right here, all Israel, all Israel came out for this thing. The king was out. He was leading the whole Israelite. The king was out there. This was a big deal. And she was inside the house. Wasn't going to be a part of it. Looking from the window. The whole Israelite community is there. Rejoicing in the Lord. Bringing up the ark of God. But it wasn't in her heart. And physically she wasn't a part. But spiritually she also wasn't a part. She was a sideline observer. She looked through the window, not wanting to get connected or get involved. And that's indicative of those who have religion instead of relationship. When you sit on the, and you're critical, you start getting critical, that's the next thing. She had a critical attitude. She despised him. I tell you, some of the, I pastored a church before. We raised up a church now, but I pastored a church before. I tell you, the people, it's funny, the people that don't even pay tithes, they struggle to pay tithes. I know because they're the ones that get mad at you and leave. And then you notice that the offering doesn't drop off. The offering doesn't go nowhere. And you think, oh, oh man, they left, they, my tither, they, they, they drive up in a nice car. And then you find out they weren't given nothing. But they were the most critical. They were the ones, sideline observer. i never forget when I took my first church. They hadn't seen someone get saved in ten years. And, a, and, and a, man, a young man came up with Bell's palsy. Half his side was paralyzed. And he had a patch over his eye. God instantly healed this boy at the front of the altar. Instantly he pulled a patch. His tear ducts wouldn't work anymore. His eyes watered up. The patch got wet. He pulled it off. God instantly healed man. And I did a little, you know, what do you call it? Whatever. Shundai. Shaboomba. I did a little speaking in tongues. Ran across the stage. Yeah. You see a miracle right in front of your eyes. You get a little excited, right? You know, half the church 
drew near to the altar. The other half sat back with their arms folded and wanted to get rid of me. Wanted to get rid of me. And the Monday after, the next day, I get a call from the board. And they say, they start complaining about money. Money. Now, Brother Freeman, did you notice in our, they gave us a piece of paper showing the money. I, you know, I'd just been there for a little bit. You know, and, and you know, God had done such a wonderful thing. But this person was all up. Did you see that someone got $50 over here? Now, what was that for? And you know what? I hadn't even seen that paper. I didn't. I mean, I just showed up. This brother was trying to set me up. He wasn't a brother. But this dude was trying to set me up. He was trying to. He knew what that $50 went to. And I told him, I said, man, man, well, you know more than me. That, you know what that $50 goes for? Oh, he was upset that someone had got paid to clean the church. I was like, what? What? And I said, and then I called him brother at that time. I didn't know he wasn't a brother. But I mean, at that time, I called him brother. And I said, oh, brother so-and-so, you know, why couldn't you rejoice over some Instead of getting, because I got a little aggravated in my heart. You know, I was like, why couldn't you rejoice over what God did instead of worrying about where 50 bucks went? And that's what happens when people develop, they operate out of religion and there's no relationship, there's no connection with God or His people. Then they develop this critical attitude and they want to nitpick. They want to nitpick and they want to sow their nitpicking attitude into someone else because you know misery loves company and so you want to nitpick so to see if there's any other nitpickers out there and so you nitpick, nitpick. Oh, I found one. Let's nitpick together. And so you go on, misery loves company and we're going to sow dissension and strife. Those people left the church. <laughs> people leave. Sometimes people have to leave. Sideline observers, critical attitudes, couldn't rejoice while others were getting blessed. If you can't rejoice when you see God touching someone else, you got a problem. You need to check your heart, you need to repent. You need to get right with God. Because there's something in you that's preventing you from entering in to the joy of the Lord. The last thing, we read it, Michael was fruitless. She was barren to the day of her death. And you know, I, I, I told the uh, 201 class this morning, Jesus said the words in John 15, he says, if a, if a branch doesn't bear fruit, it's cut off, thrown into the fire. Every branch in me that bears fruit, the Father comes along, He prunes it, so it'll bear more fruit. But every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, He cuts it off. There's no life in it. It's dead. It's dead. Let's stand together. Jesus. Jesus. Sister, come up in the piano right here.
Hallelujah. Play that song, Hungry. Hungry. Hallelujah. See, the children this morning have been rejoicing. We have been rejoicing. Oh, God, you've been so good to us in this place. God, we feel like your gifts of life, your bread of life, (laughs) your bread of life has been distributed. The King has distributed the bread of life to each and every one of us. We can go home with our bread of life, with all the fruit, those raisins, all that fruit. All that fruit that God has disseminated in this place this morning. We go back to our homes rejoicing. Rejoicing. The King of Kings. Been in this house. He's here with us. I'm just going to say this. While she's playing. We begin to sing that song, Hungry. Now I know all you crazy radicals, you would jump up to the front right now. But this morning, right now, we need to see if there's those that would say, you know what, I need to humble my heart. I need to humble my heart this morning. I've been a sideline observer. There's something critical in me. Not allowing me to partake of all the bounty that God has for me. I'm having trouble looking at people as they're jumping around. I'm kind of even despising them in my heart. I'm just kind of having trouble. I just feel like an outsider from what's going on. And no, right now, I feel barren. I feel empty. Everybody's rejoicing, but I feel empty. I feel empty. first step to humble ourselves to cast off those religious garments cast off those religious garments and say God hungry I come hungry I come for more of you if that's you this morning the Holy Spirit right now is tugging at your heart saying come the Spirit and the Bride say come to him that is thirsty come 